Take your Bibles to the book of Mark. If you're visiting today, thank you for being our guest this morning. And if you are a first-time guest, uh, hopefully you will stop outside. We have a gift we'd love to place uh, in your hand. And thank you for being with us this morning. Mark chapter 7, looking at a sermon this morning called The Heart of the Problem is a Heart Problem. When you look at what's happening in our world today, folks, you can blame, push blame off on every other thing, but ultimately it goes back to a heart problem. The issues that we're facing in our city are, are not a result of the haves and the have-nots. It's a result of the fact that we have a sin problem. And folks, when you look across the culture, you can always point blame and, and, and try to be play the victim. But at the end of the day, it ultimately goes down to what are we doing with Jesus Christ? What do we ultimately choose to do in our heart? And, you know, sometimes you think about the, the things that we do uh, as Americans, and especially in the South, there are certain traditions. If you are new to the South, and you, you may uh, say, what in the world is going on? I mean, uh, sometimes you say a barbecue, and you think that you're barbecuing a pig, and uh, and you really just mean, I'm just making hot dogs and hamburgers on the grill. Uh, anybody get a little confused from time to time? You, you hear some of that, or you hear soda or pop. And, you know, uh, in the South, we just say Coke. And it's all of the different drinks. I mean, everything, if, if, it's, uh, if it's orange, if it's Dr. Pepper, if it's, you know, Coke, it's all Coke. We just say Coke. And, uh, but sometimes you'll see soda or pop, or you have all these different names for it. But there's certain things that become traditions. And, and maybe your family has certain traditions around certain holidays. Uh, this is a holiday weekend. And, uh, uh, you know, our family likes to, you know, grill out on a, a holiday weekend and have those times of just gathering around and enjoy. Sometimes there's things that we've always done a certain way and you don't even think about it because it just becomes a tradition in your household. Maybe it's certain foods that you eat at Thanksgiving and that's traditional for North Carolina or Pennsylvania or California or New York and you, you just certain things, traditions that have been brought down through the years. And you know, there's certain things, I remember growing up, I think every day, uh, growing up as a kid, my breakfast was Captain Crunch cereal, and, uh, specifically peanut butter Captain Crunch cereal. And, I mean, I ate literally hundreds of boxes of Captain Crunch cereal through the years, and uh, I always had orange juice and Captain Crunch. You say, why did you have Captain Crunch? Because they were offering that you could win a bike, uh, a BMX bike, and I was convinced if I ate enough boxes of cereal, I was going to win that uh, bike. I, little did I know my dad spent way more than enough to buy me the bike and just give it to me and spare buying all these hundreds of boxes of, of Captain Crunch cereal. But it became a tradition in our household. And, you know, uh, in our passage today, Jesus is talking to some Jewish leaders. And, he, and they are certain traditions that have become cherished in their world and they begin to elevate tradition above uh, the scripture, above the gospel, and, and to begin to elevate it more than the word of God. And so I want to invite you to read. I'll put the, the verses will be on the screen in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. And that is unwashed, for the, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition 
of the elders. And when they, can't, they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. The Pharisees and scribes ask him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is what, church? Far from me. What's he saying? He says, there are people who have certain traditions, and they think that everything should be a certain way, but yet their heart is so far actually from God. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Traveling to Israel a couple years ago, every place you would go, every place that you would see the temple or see a, a, a Jewish uh, house of worship, there would be these uh, uh, bathing areas where you would go out there and you would have to bathe before you could go in and worship. And there was traditions about being clean versus unclean. And so it says, these people honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me. Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts for just these next few moments? Lord, as we focus on your word and, Lord, the word that Christ is speaking to us this morning, Lord, I pray that we would set aside things in our lives that may just be tradition and maybe they're holding back our worship of you. Maybe they're holding others back from seeing the goodness of God and the love of God. And, and maybe just because we've always done it a certain way doesn't mean that that's uh, the only way. And, and, God, I pray that we would see past man's tradition and see the clear gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to focus our attention on you, and would you change our hearts and transform those, Lord, that do not know you as Lord and Savior. God, I pray this morning they would understand the truth of the gospel, how Christ died on the cross, you were buried, you rose again the third day. And Lord, if we'll place our faith and trust in you, you will transform an old sinful heart and radically change us into your image. God, would you do a mighty work in our hearts and lives this morning? We'll be careful to give you the honor, glory, and praise in your precious name we pray. Amen. Moses is, is, is when he says, for Moses says, honor your father and mother. And he says, ultimately the Jews are saying, hey, we're going to do our own thing. We have our own plans. We have our own way of doing it. And they were adding to what it meant to be a follower or, or have a heart of God. The Jews were meticulous about obeying a multitude of laws in the Old Testament. It wasn't just the Ten Commandments. The, the kosher laws had to do with things that were clean and unclean. And, and having been to Israel, man, I'm telling you, they follow those, every one, to the letter of the law. I mean, there are so many, uh, you can't, uh, when the Sabbath comes around, I mean, you're, you may starve to death. I mean, uh, every place is closed. I mean, there's only a few foods that can be prepared beforehand that are, that are available for people to eat. And I, we were in a, a, staying in a five-star hotel, and 
I mean, you really literally nearly starved to death on, on the Sabbath because there was nothing that we could absolutely just partake in. It was all dry and, and, and tasteless. And it was, but the kosher laws were things... Some foods were kosher, certain foods weren't kosher, and the Jews believed if they ate an unkosher food, they would be defiled. And so uh, I, would, I, I, I wouldn't be a good Jew because uh, on Friday night, uh, we went out as a family and we had shrimp, and uh, I'm out. I mean, you know, I wouldn't be able to have that anymore. I wouldn't be able to have bacon. I mean, you know, I mean, there's certain places you have to draw a red line. Uh, and, and the sand, and not being able to have bacon like forever and ever. Amen. I mean, what about bacon wrapped shrimp? I mean, you know, that is just on a skewer. I mean, it's just, you know, you, your mind starts thinking about, I'm not sure I could follow those strict rules. And, you know, uh, and so you'd be surprised, though, grasshoppers are kosher, crickets are kosher, locusts are even kosher. So, I mean, I'm totally out. I mean, I would never make it. My, my oldest daughter, years ago, we would sit there and watch a show called Fear Factor. And uh, it was like a, a regular thing in our household. We'd watch this show. And always as part of the, the process of moving to the next stage, you had to eat something super gross. And, and, you know, sometimes it was a tag team event. I mean, you do one thing. I could do the, the height things that you have to jump off of something. I wasn't afraid of doing that. But when it came to eating those weird things, I'm like, I mean, I'm totally out. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here watching it from the comfort of my living room, and I'm gagging. I'm seeing stars. I'm thinking mayonnaise. I mean, anything with mayonnaise cannot be kosher. I mean, that's got to be the nastiest thing. It will not be in heaven. Uh, I'm sorry if you like mayonnaise, but it's probably not going to be there. But you know, there's certain things that were kosher and unkosher. Jesus' disciples, they weren't eating with dirty hands. So, I mean, kids, when my mom and dad says it's time to wash your hands or now, it's the hand sanitizer. I mean, you were, I mean, the other day, Tina said, give me some hand sanitizer. Every time we get in the car, everybody's getting it out. And she said, good grief, you gave me enough to take a bath. I said, well, just clean your arms, you know, wipe your face or whatever it takes. But, you know, there were certain things that they... Uh, practiced, and there was a ceremonial hand-washing ritual that Jews practiced. The Jews had the Old Testament law called the Torah. The most important law was laws were the Ten Commandments, but there were other laws, hundreds of rules. Over the centuries, the Jewish rabbis added thousands more rules and regulations. It was called the Oral Law. It was passed down from generation to generation. It was eventually written down in, into the book called the Mishnah. Jesus didn't recognize or obey these oral laws, and it became a, a setting for Jesus to give us some important truths about tradition and the righteousness uh, and, and sin in our lives as followers of Jesus. So let's look at a, a few important truths this morning. There is danger in replacing God's truth with man's traditions. Can I get an amen there? There's danger in replacing God, God's truth with man's traditions. Jesus turned the, the Jews' criticism into an opportunity to, to warn them that they had somehow elevated the traditions of man above the word of God. He pointed out a religious and legal, legal loophole the Jews had created called Corbin. The Ten Commandments taught that we must honor our father and our mothers. It, it means as long as our parents are alive. Uh, 
my granddad, uh, my mom's dad lived to be 92 years old. And uh, those last several years, my parents kept them, kept him in his house. And he was peculiar. He had certain things he did a certain way. He had a cat. I mean, if you're a cat lover, I'll pray for you. But, uh, uh, you know, all dogs go to heaven. I, I, you know, cats, it's kind of, you know, it's one of those things we'll have to see when we get, <laughs> I'm totally playing. He had a cat, and, and my, my granddad lived to be 92 years old, and he had certain things that, I mean, he was going to do a certain way. And, I mean, some of them drove my dad completely crazy. I mean, he's 91, my parents have a carport where they park their cars under. It has a little brick, you know, about two feet high edge around the, the side of the carport. And my granddad, instead of walking around like a normal person, would go and he would hike his leg up and step over that two-foot, uh, you know, wall and go around through the bushes around to my dad's shop behind the house. And he would play with his cat back there. And he wasn't allowed in the house. And my dad has common sense. And you don't let the cat in the house. I mean, it, it'll smell. And, and so he didn't let the cat in there. And he'd go out there. And every day, multiple times a day, he'd make that trek. And he'd go. And, and my dad is thinking broken hip. I mean, broken knee. I mean, fall. You know, we're going to call the ambulance. All these things. And he says, you know, granddad, would you, would you walk around? And, no. And every time he would step over that wall and coming and going. And, and there were certain things you just could not get through his head because it was a tradition. It's the way he did it. But folks, when it said honor your father and mother, it, it carried with it a weight. As long as they were alive, you're to honor your father and your mother. But see, what they did was they created a loophole called Corbin. The Ten Commandments it said we're supposed to honor them. And so the Jewish mafia created a loophole which says a Jewish man could say, I'm going to voting all of my assets to the temple. So he would make a small down payment. He'd make a little token gift to the temple. And then he continued to live on his income. And when his elderly parents would say, hey, we, son, we need you to help take care of us. They say, well, everything I have is already given to the temple, so I can't take care of you. And it was like a way around the rules, so to speak. And so he was saying, Jesus says, you've made a mockery of the word of God, which says we're to honor our father and our mother. And I remember when my granddad passed away, my dad said, I don't want you to forget what you've seen all these years because one day I'm expecting you to take care of us like, you know, we've taken care of, of your grandparents. And, and so we're taking notes and, and, and making notes all along the way. But Mark 6, 7 verse 13 says, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And many such things you do. The Jews had more even more tedious rules, oral laws, than we could possibly imagine. And if a Jewish man was carrying a pot and somehow came in contact with a Gentile person and they touched that pot, you would have to crush that pot and the largest piece, uh, broken piece of that pot could not be larger than the Jewish man's toe. All right, big toe. So you can just imagine all of a sudden he's having to pull his shoe off or you know, sandal off and He's comparing the largest pieces to the size. I've seen some of your toes. I mean, they're nasty. But, you know, I'm not a, toe, I'm not a foot person. I don't, I don't want to see your feet. But, you know, imagine trying to bust those things up, Jason, just to get them to the size of, the, of your largest toe. And, and so it was, a, it was crazy, the traditions that they kept in that time. And if you think, you know, think fast forward to the church age. 
over the first 1500 years of the church, many rules and traditions were developed by the Roman Catholic Church and later on by the Eastern Orthodox Church. And, and they were understood as important doctrine developed within the Catholic Church. And one of them was called papal infallibility. And this meant when the Pope spoke ex cathedra or from the chair, his proclamation was as authoritative as the Bible itself. I mean, so think about it for just a second. When he would speak from the chair, anything he said was just as important as the Holy Scriptures. All right, that's fallacy. I'm sorry, but there's no way in the world. And folks, but that's what they taught. But in the 1500s, a group of Christians protested the authority of the Pope. They're called Protestants. And their defining doctrine was sola scriptura, meaning scripture alone. In other words, don't add to the scriptures. Don't add to what the Word of God says. But even the Protestants, though, begin to develop their own traditions. For instance, John Calvin, the founder of the Presbyterian Church, was also known as the Church of Scotland. John Calvin was known for wearing a hat uh, in, uh, as he uh, preached and as he was carrying forth the message he would have on a hat and uh, uh, most of us can't even imagine that uh, all of the the younger crowd would think that's super cool I mean I could wear a hat to church every day I mean but he, there was a tradition about wearing a hat and they would only take it off when they were praying and so it became a tradition in the Presbyterian Church for hundreds of years men would wear hats in church remove them only to pray but according to the biographers the reason that John Calvin wore a hat was because his church was open and cold and there were pigeons roosting in the church roof and you were, you're liable to get bombed during the service. And so they would wear these hats to protect their heads from getting pooped on, all right? I mean, sorry for those watching online. You just woke up maybe, but you know, the rest of us are sitting here going, that's pretty gross, I'm putting on my hat. Uh, but it became a tradition that was passed down over time and you know for those that think I'm picking on the Catholics or the Presbyterians all the Baptists have their own traditions too and they're even crazier I mean in the Baptist Church I mean tradition holds that Baptists can't dance I mean seriously I mean where did these rules come up from you know where'd they come from but I've seen some of you and you can't dance and you probably shouldn't dance but uh Anyway, but there's a tradition amongst the Baptists, especially in days gone by, that Baptists can't dance. And, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's crazy. But uh, we had another one I remember as a kid growing up. I mean, we were not allowed to play cards. Uh, anybody else grow up like that? I mean, it was like, I mean, you could potentially gamble if you played cards. And so it was just strictly forbidden. I mean, we were not, we didn't grow up playing poker. Or, I mean, there was no card playing in the pastor's house. I mean, it was just strictly forbidden. And I'm going to let you in on the insight. My mom is here, but she probably can't hear me right now. But my dad might listen to this later, and I'll probably get a phone call before the week's out. But as an adult, all right, I'm being straight up honest, as an adult, uh, uh, several of us used to get together and play cards. We weren't gambling. There was no money exchanged. But we felt so crazy guilty about it, we would call it prayer meeting. We would get together on a Friday night, and we were like, hey, you want to come over for prayer meeting? And it was code for playing cards. And we would say this because, I mean, if anything ever gone, John and Lee Ellen's tested, they're laughing about it there because they were in on it. And, I mean, sometimes we'd play cards for two and three hours or 
I mean, there was some nights it didn't start till like 11 o'clock. And, you know, I mean, it was never an ending time. Just whenever you were about to pass out. And it was not from being drunk or wasted or for a gambling. It was just from, we were tired. But uh, those were in the days B.C., before children. But anyway, but we would call it a prayer meeting. And all of it is tradition, folks. You know, it grew up in a tradition that certain things were kind of, you know, forbidden in our circles. And I could go on for days about all of the things that we have traditions. When I first came to serve as student pastor here in 1997, I was with the teens for nine solid years every Wednesday night. And so I had never actually gone to church in big church uh, on a Wednesday night. And here I am, I'm, I'm a co-pastor. And I remember one Wednesday night, Martha, I was getting ready to, to teach for the very first time on Wednesday night. And I was dressed just exactly like this. I mean, I had on a collared shirt. I had on nice jeans. And, and I remember walking into my dad and right out here in the lobby. And he was said, son, where's your suit and tie? Um... It's Wednesday night, Dad, and he's like, nobody preaches in this pulpit without a suit and tie on. And I'm telling you, it was like for a few moments there, it was kind of tense, and it, he would tell you that same thing. And, and I was like, well, I mean, Dad, I, I don't even know what to say. Nobody out there in the church is wearing a suit and tie. In fact, I said it's Wednesday night. Most everyone's going to be in jeans or shorts on Wednesday night, and I've always been in youth group, but I mean, this is nicer than what I wear to youth group. But I mean, I don't even know what else to say, but I don't have a suit and tie to wear tonight. And I'm pretty sure the rest of the people out there is going to be okay. And I wasn't disrespectful, but it was more of a tradition. When I travel to India and Nicaragua and Romania, you can tell the influence of the missionaries who've gone there before. There's certain uh, theology and there's certain uh, schools that people have sent their missionaries out to those areas. And you'll go into an area in India, I've seen this before, where uh, very strict Baptists have come in there, and boy, they're suited up in ties. And it's like, I preached one Sunday, it was like 107 degrees. And I'm sitting here with a suit and tie on thinking, it was the moment I switched from preaching out of a Bible to an iPad because my Bible was so wet when I got done preaching in 107 degrees that the pages were all stuck together. And so then I, I, was, but I was like, why are we wearing a suit? Because the missionary who had come there before had gone to a seminary that you had to wear a suit and they carried down that tradition. I've been in Nicaragua a few years ago. I preached at Pastor Omar's home church. Our whole team is there. They all have on jeans or, or khakis. But I'm in a suit and tie, and Omar says, you're preaching in the pulpit, so our pastor says, you have to wear a suit and tie. And I'm like, why? It's like 150 degrees outside, and we're inside, and there's no air conditioner. And I get there, and Omar doesn't have a suit on. I'm like, wait a minute. He says, I'm not preaching. You are. <laughs> and I'm like, these traditions are killing me. I mean, I'm going to probably pass out before it's all over. But folks, it's all about a tradition. Some of you look up here this morning, you said, Pastor David, you're wearing jeans. And, and I would say, how many of that bothers you right now? But don't raise your hand. I mean, just keep that between you and God, and I'll pray for you. But if the reality is, is... If that is bothering you this morning, you have to ask yourself, has man's tradition somehow been elevated above the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
Because if that's the case, folks, we're losing the battle. We're losing the, the whole thing. Religious practice number two will never make us acceptable to God. The reason that we have traditions, whether it's ceremonial washing of the hands or dressing up for church, it's something that we do outwardly that makes us feel good about ourselves. Think about it for just a moment. The reason sometimes in church life that legalism takes hold is we like to feel good. I'm doing something to earn God's favor, earn his blessing. And if I can do certain things that I can control, I can check off certain boxes in God's favor. And, and some people want, want to do that themselves. Jesus taught that righteousness wasn't a matter of outward religious practice. It was a matter of inward affection towards God. So what it's saying is, it's not a matter of how I look on the outside, but it's a condition of the heart. Remember the heart of the matter? is It's a hard problem. What's keeping us from right relationship with God is not what we haven't done, but it's our relationship with God is based on what's happening in our heart. Jesus called the Jews hypocrites. They honored God with their lips, but their hearts were far from God. The word hypocrite comes from a, a word that means an actor. Hypocrite is someone whose walk doesn't match their talk. And a few years ago, Nike produced a commercial, and it was only on the air just for a few days. They spent a ton of money producing it. And uh, the commercial was filmed in Africa, and it was a group of Zulu warriors were wearing Nike basketball shoes, and they were jumping around uh, in these shoes. And they had a, a, a great vertical. They were, they were uh, leap, and there was all this music blaring, and they were jumping in their shoes. And then it focused in on one Zulu warrior who said something in his Bantu dialect. He says, Nike, buka, buka, buka. The words that came on the screen was translated, had him saying, Nike, just do it. You say, well, what, what's, the, what's the moral? What's, what's, what happened? And what's wrong with it? The commercial aired a few times, and then a college professor who, was, who spoke Bantu called Nike and informed them that the Zulu, war, Zulu warrior was actually saying, these Nike shoes hurt my feet. The message that Nike wanted to get out didn't match what the man was actually saying. And you can imagine, if you don't wear shoes, putting a pair of Nike tennis shoes on your feet is going to feel weird. I mean, my son played uh, his first uh, lacrosse game of the season and had brand new shoes, cleats on the other night. That first game, I mean, you're coming off the field and your feet are killing you. I mean, you're in pain and haven't had a chance to break those shoes in. But he's saying, these, these Nike shoes... They hurt my feet. And then the problem with religion is that our attempt to earn God's acceptance by following certain prescribed set of rules and regulations don't gain us God's favor or blessing. The Old Testament law was there to show us that none of us can obey the rules. According to Revelation 20, one day in the future, all lost people will stand before God at the great white throne judgment. And a few years ago, as a youth pastor, I took our students to camp, and there was this evangelist preaching, and he preached about the 
the great right throne judgment and the judgment seat of Christ. And back then, I remember we would line all the teens on the stage that had been to camp, and, and they would give testimonies of how God had worked in their heart. And I mean, as sure as I'm standing before you, I'm not kidding. It's not a joke. It happened just like this. Multiple teens said, I made a decision to be present at the great white throne judgment. I'm like, oh, that's not what he was talking about. You're, I mean, that's for the unbeliever. I mean, not you. I mean, that's, we're, we're in the judgment seat of Christ, not the great white throne judgment. They somehow got that all mixed up and made this uh, major decision to be present at the great white throne judgment. But for those of us who have been redeemed, our names will appear in the Lamb's book of life. But Revelation 20 is a judgment for lost people. The Bible says they'll be judged according to what they have done as, the, as recorded in the Word of God. All of these people are going to plead before Jesus. They'll say, look at all of the good things that I've done. I've done good works. I've given money. I've done all of these things, more so than those of the people that are bad. And, and some people will say, hey, they might even point fingers at you and me and say, compared to those people over there at the church, I mean, I'm pretty good. I mean, look at what they've done and look at how wicked they are. And ultimately, the word of God says, the Lord will say, Lord, Lord, I've done all these things in your name. And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. James chapter 2, verse 10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. In other words, we can do all of the traditions of man trying to live a certain way to gain God's favor. And he says, if we fail or sin in one area, we're guilty of all. So folks, that makes all of us, means, folks, we are going straight to hell. We're going straight to the pit if it weren't for the Father and his love for us and sending his son Jesus. Here's how the Bible describes it in Romans chapter 3. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in the sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. In other words, you cannot be good enough. Romans 3.20 says, says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, how many people are going to be declared righteous by performing all these religious traditions? Zero. And as I traveled and went to the, the, the wall and I saw all of these people praying and went into some of these prayer rooms over in Israel and young men and their fathers and grandfathers are there reading all these prayers and they're, they're just kind of rocking back and forth as they're praying and I thought to myself, all of the things that we could possibly do to earn God's favor, and yet we miss Jesus as the Messiah, the only one who can transform our life from sin. We see also, we see, uh, we sin because we're born with a bad heart. The Word of God says that all of us are born sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3.10 says. The Bible says in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In other words, you and I, at our very best, are only sinful. There are two basic schools of thought about human goodness. A humanist says all people are basically good at heart. Because of a lack of education or 
poverty or a poor environment or association with bad people, a person gradually falls into evil. But the other position is that man is basically born with a sinful nature and must be redeemed by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Of course, the Bible teaches the second position. Folks, you and I can put a toddler in, on the floor with a bag of candy and then send some other toddlers in. And you know, what are they going to do? They're going to hold it and they'll say, mine, mine, mine. Uh, I'm sure when you bring uh, baby Alice home from the hospital, just like you guys brought a second child home uh, a couple year, a year or so ago, I mean, early on, it's, it's all fun and games. But at some point, the older child is starting to say, I'm not sharing with her. I'm not giving him any of my toys. I'm not going to. Why? Because there's a sense. We don't have to teach a child how to sin. They can figure that out on their own. I mean, some of you are saying, they're just like their mother. <laughs> or you're like, boy, they're just like their father. I mean, but you're sitting here thinking, you don't have to teach them how to sin. There's no course online 101 that's taught in, in elementary or middle school or, or college. We don't have any problems with that. We, we, we understand that. Uh, but folks, what happens is you and I, as we go throughout life, we, our heart naturally gravitates towards sin. Mark chapter 7, Look, at, we're going to finish up the, our text here. It says in verse 14, He called the people to him again and, and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. When he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not know that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but into his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean, and he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Of course, Jesus is speaking about evil that comes from the human heart. And, and folks, he wasn't talking about the organ in our chest that pumps blood to every other part of our body. He was referring to our heart as the central control center of our life. The heart is a part of our personality where moral choices are made. Recently, I read about a, a lady who ended up she was she was drunk driving and, and she ran into a, a tree and she killed her five-year-old granddaughter who was a passenger in her car officers at the crash scene reported a strong smell of alcohol and so when she was taken to the ICU they drew blood and she had twice the legal limit of alcohol she also had uh, Xanax and marijuana in her system when they arrested her she was rude and, and showed no remorse for her behavior even the, after the crash before she was arrested the, she was on Facebook and she posted information about drinking games that involved alcohol the arresting officer was quoted as saying he found it bothersome that her wreck 
that resulted in the death of her own grandchild, she was still posting information about a drinking game. Experts would say that this lady that was, with, that was, in, in a, that was being arrested would have a, uh, it was a, an alcohol problem, or she had a, a drug problem. But folks, those are only symptoms of a greater problem, a heart problem, a heart that's far from God. It wasn't the alcohol or the Xanax or the, the marijuana that led to the death of her granddaughter. It was because that she had a heart that was far from God and was sinful and wicked. Because the Word of God tells us that all of our righteousness are still as filthy rags in the sight of God. And so she had a heart that was far from God. We're all born with that same sinful, wicked heart. But we see, fourthly and lastly, salvation involves getting a new heart. I'm thankful that when God looked down and saw man's sinful condition, he didn't leave us to figure it out for ourselves. He loved us so much he would send his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sin. Salvation involves getting a new heart. Folks, what happens is, as we understand our sinful condition, the bad news is that all of us are sinners bound for hell. The good news is that Jesus loved us so much, he died on the cross. And he's offering us a spiritual heart transplant. He's offering us a brand new heart. God doesn't want to patch up our old heart. He wants to give us a new heart. And the prophet Ezekiel shows us about sinful man's humanity. He says, and I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What happens is when Jesus Christ comes in, he doesn't want to just clean up the outside and put on a suit and tie. He's not trying to put on some flashy jewelry and make you look pretty when you're wicked and sinful. No, he wants to radically transform us. What happens is when he comes into our life, Folks, we don't have to dress everybody up to look like little uh, protégés, a little, uh, you know, stamped out uh, clones uh, of a certain look. No, Jesus Christ, when he comes into our life, he radically tra transforms us. I love it when I'm praying with someone who's placing their faith and trust in Jesus, and they just begin to talk to God freely. And folks, it's from the heart. It's like the thief on the cross. His, uh, his prayer to God was it. Oh, Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a wicked, vile, and sinner. No, I know that you are the holy God of Israel, the, the God of Jacob and Abraham and Isaac. And, no, he didn't pray like that. He didn't even know what to say. He says, you don't deserve this, but I do. Remember me when you go to your kingdom. Remember me when you return back to heaven. I love the fact that he acknowledged who he was as a sinner in need of a Savior, and yet Jesus Christ is radically offering us salvation. Jesus said to the hyper-religious Pharisee Nicodemus, he would never be good enough to see the kingdom of heaven. He said, you must be born again. When you're born again spiritually, God gives us a new start on life because he gives us a new heart. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what does that word say? He's a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Pastor David, what's the application? Would you like to receive a new heart this morning? Because the reality is, until we place our faith and trust in Jesus, no attempt by man to live good enough to strive to gain God's favor is going to gain us access to a holy God. Would you like to receive Jesus Christ, a new heart? Jesus has a heart full of grace and forgiveness that he offers to become a permanent resident in our heart and life. He'll take all of the the pain, he'll take all of the sin, he'll take all of the failures of this life Folks, and he forgives us, and he washes us. The word of God says, white as snow, and he remembers our sins no more. I can't think of a greater picture of what God does when he says, he cast our sins in the depths of the sea, never to be remembered. I heard a pastor say years ago, he says, he posts a sign that says, no fishing. You're not going to ever hear God bring it up again because he's completely and totally forgiven us. He says he cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. And having flown around the world and on different mission trips, I can tell you, I've seen the sunrise more than once in the same day. But folks, you can't ever get there. As far as the east, where does it end? It's a continual thing, folks. Jesus Christ forgives us and cleanses us entirely. Salvation is a matter of the head. That you, it's not a matter of the head that you can think your way. You can be smart enough to gain your way into heaven. Salvation is a matter of the hands that we can work our way. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of what are you doing with Jesus. And God is offering us salvation. He's offering us a free gift. But folks, it's not cheap. In fact, it costs Jesus everything. In fact, in John chapter 19, we read as Jesus was dying on the cross, a Roman soldier came and pierced his side with a spear. And the word of God tells us that water and blood flowed from the wound of Jesus. In other words, indicated his heart literally burst. He died of a broken heart so that you and I could have a new heart. Folks, until we deal with the heart of man, there will always be a heart problem. We can look around at the news and see what's happening around our world and say, man, the whole world is going to hell. And you know what? There's a lot of truth to that. But Jesus Christ is offering us new life. He's offering us a brand new heart. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, can I challenge you this morning? Don't leave here without getting the matter of your salvation settled once and for all. Jesus loves you so much that he died to pay for your sins and mine. And there's nothing, absolutely nothing you can do this morning that will separate you from God except for rejecting the free gift of salvation. Why not accept him? Why not invite him into your life? Ask him to forgive you of your sin and become your Lord and Savior here today. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray this morning there may be some people here today who, or people that are watching in person or online 
this morning who've never placed their faith and trust in you for salvation. The heart of the problem is a, is a heart problem. Gaining interest into heaven can never be attained on our own. But God, I pray this morning you would show them their need of a Savior. And Lord, this morning before they leave, they would bow their knee and confess you as Lord and Savior. Receive forgiveness. Receive freedom from their past. And God, I pray you would radically transform their life this morning. Those of us that know Christ as our Savior, God, help us not to be caught up in the traditions of man and in doing so lose the opportunity to reach a co-worker, a neighbor, a friend, a family member because they think they have to measure up to man's tradition instead of realizing at the foot of the cross all of us are equal. Help us not to become about a tradition or a style that God may we be consumed with the gospel of Jesus Christ and sharing the gospel with every tribe and nation. May you do a mighty work in our hearts and lives this morning. Be careful for you. With heads by and eyes closed, let's stand our feet. As John and Ian sing this last song, do business with God. If you speak in your heart, allow Him to transform your heart this morning. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul, I worship Your Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, worship Your holy name, Lord. Worship your holy name. Take your attention, church. Looking forward to a good week this week.